Do you want to lead life to its fullest as an independent music teacher? You're in the right place. Welcome to episode 103 of the Piano Pantry podcast. I'm your host, Amy Chaplin, a piano teacher who is also on a quest to support and enrich the lives of this community with amiable advice, practical products, and simple solutions. If you're tired of your life and business feeling like it's on overload, take a step back because I've got your back. This podcast is brought to you by teachers like you who support this work on Patreon. Today, I want to give a special shout out to insider Jason Sifford. Jason is an incredibly creative teacher and composer whom I first met at a conference. He also joined me on episode number 70 for one of our teacher talks. I especially love what he said in that episode about how he intentionally ends every lesson each week with students. If you're curious on how he ends lessons, you'll just have to listen in. If you've been enjoying this podcast and want to throw a little support my way, like Jason, visit pianopantry.com forward slash Patreon and join at either the seven or $3 levels. As we are gearing up for a new semester, I wanted to talk about a pedagogical topic that has been near and dear to my heart for a while, the progression of how we teach technical patterns. While I will share some of my thoughts and choices on the order in which I teach technical patterns to my students, my main goal today is to get you thinking about what order you prefer to teach technical patterns in. Notice I didn't say what order your method book wants you to teach them, but what order do you feel is most beneficial to your students? If you've been around here for a while, you'll know that I don't often talk about pedagogical topics. There are two reasons for this. One is that I have a natural proclivity to support teachers more on the business and organizational workflow side. And two, I think some of it is just a little thing that we all deal with and wondering if we're good enough. Crazy, I know, but you know, (laughs) here's to being vulnerable. First, I want to give you a little background on my educational history, not as some kind of crown that allows me to speak with authority. No, not that at all. This is so that you know where my influences are coming from. First, I have a Bachelor of Music in Choral Education K-12 and a Master's in Piano Pedagogy and Performance. In 2016, I obtained a Level 1 certification in the Application of Music Learning Theory, also known as MLT for Piano, from the Gordon Institute for Music Learning. I have had experience teaching from at least half a dozen different methods over the years, including Bastion, Celebrate Piano, Piano Adventures, Tales of a Musical Journey, and more. I was a huge proponent of the Piano Safari method, especially in their very early days, and I'm talking before they were even known. Julie, one of the authors, uh, went to grad school with an acquaintance that I did my undergrad with, And I used their very first book ever, like way back around, I don't know, maybe 2010. Don't quote me on that, but it's been a while. The biggest reason that the Piano Safari Method had me at Hello was for how they approach students learning physical technique using the animal songs. Some of the reason I bring this up is because I've had experience teaching technical patterns in a variety of orders from many different method books. 
I also mentioned Piano Safari specifically because of the physical technique that influenced me, which brings us to an important question here. What is technique? It's always irritated me, and I hate to say irritated me, but it's kind of bothered me a bit that we use the term somewhat interchangeably for both how we approach the piano physically, as far as our bodily movement and engagement, and from the angle of learning to play a variety of actual exercises or patterns, as in like five finger patterns, scales, chords, and inversions, or arpeggios and such. Yes, they're of course intertwined, but they can be separate conversations. And today we're focused on the latter. I struggle to tell students it's time to do their technical exercises or to open their technique book because, I mean, put yourself in your students' shoes. That doesn't really sound very exciting. I stubbornly refuse to call them technical patterns and instead like to call them piano patterns. Okay, my minor rant is over. Well, actually, maybe not. I also have to admit that I struggle with most technique books that accompany method books and haven't used one in years. While I'm actually developing my own book of piano pattern progressions, which will hopefully get out in the world someday, I otherwise generally teach most piano patterns without any materials in front of the student. Method books are there to help us have healthy progressions in our teaching, and that is great. It can be very comforting to have that, especially as a new teacher. But honestly, I don't think that's as cut and dry as it needs to be. I want you to really think about the order in which you think it's healthy for students to learn various patterns at the piano. I'm about to throw some points at you to ponder, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it very slow, and pause for just a few seconds after each one so that you can really process and think as I challenge you on some of these points. Are you ready? Do, you, do your students really need to learn all 24 major and minor five finger patterns in a dozen different combinations with artic different articulations before they ever learn an eight note scale? What if students learned a scale before they learned what a five-finger pattern is so they understand the bigger context from which the five-finger scale is extracted? Do they really need to learn one octave scales? Or would it be easier just to go for two octaves straight away, hand separate, to start? Would it help students realize the alternating one, two, three, one, two, three, four finger pattern of scales if they played at least one contrary motion scale first? Are students introduced to hands together scales way before they ever even have to play repertoire that has them playing scale passages hands together? The F-sharp and D-flat major scale fingering patterns are so easy when you think about them in relation to the two and three fingers on the two black keys and the three tall fingers on the three black keys. And yet, we don't often teach these black key scales until years into piano lessons. Why not introduce students to these scales earlier so they don't seem so scary? Because they're not. If you have students play them chunked first, they're so visually easy to see at the piano. Chunk, 
thumb, chunk, thumb, chunk, thumb, chunk, thumb, tonic. When students are learning chord inversions, getting the middle finger of the C chord correct can be tricky, right? Sorry, let me say that again. When students are learning chord inversions, getting the middle finger of the chord correct, I think I said the, the C chord, I don't know why, getting the middle finger correct can be tricky. Rather than having students play hands together straight away when learning inversions, or rather than having them learn one chord in the right hand and then the same chord in the left hand and then going to the next key, what if we had students play right hand inversions of all the snowman chords in both major and minor. So they would just use their right hand and do the chords C and G and F major and D, E and A minor with their right hand so they can feel the finger pattern and shape. Then they can move on to the left hand for all six chords rather than doing one key in the right hand and then the left hand. So like play C major inversions, right hand, left hand, then G major, right hand, left hand, then F major, right hand, left hand. Something to think about. What if, and I'm about to stir things up here, what if we taught harmonic patterns first? That is, what if we taught tonic chords and a melodic tonic dominant one five cadence before ever teaching five finger patterns or even scale, scales, dare I say? That is, what if we taught do, mi, so, so, ti, so, fa, re, ti, do, mi, do. Harmony is the foundation on which melody is born. And yet we often teach melodic structure first, as in five finger patterns. Do you ever see students struggle with learning the one, four, one, five, five, seven, one primary chord progression? That's tonic, subdominant, and then back to tonic, and then the dominant, dominant seven, and back to the one progression, sounding like this. That's a tricky one to get. What if we taught the progression in smaller snippets? extracting the first movement of the tonic chord to a 5-7 chord shell, like do, mi, so, so, ti, do. Then the tonic chord to the full 5-7 melodic cadence. Do, mi, so, so, ti, so, fa, re, ti, do, mi, do. Next, we could introduce the movement of the tonic to the subdominant four chord in multiple keys. So they would only be learning do, mi, so, do, fa, la, do, mi, so. Then they would just transpose it to another key, the exact same pattern, only the one to the four movement. Do, mi, so, do, fa, la, do, mi, so. Only then do we have students go through the full one, four, one, five, five, seven, one progression. Do, mi, so, 
I'm singing this melodically, but students often play it in blocked chords. But you know what? Why not melodically? I find a lot of students do better when playing broken rather than blocked first. Now, I know some of you may be reeling a little bit and scratching your head a little on some of these um, ideas that I've challenged you with. So just know that I'm going to address some of these different ones later, um, but that is definitely where some of my MLT influences have come out. Before we continue this chat though, let me just say that there is no 100% right or wrong answer. I believe what's most important is that you at least put some thought into what we teach when, that we're willing to keep our minds open, that we pay attention to what's working and what's not for our students, and that we're willing to play around with the order of teaching things. You might be surprised to realize that your students do really well playing two octave scales long before the method book introduces them, or that knowing all 24 major and minor five-finger patterns in the first two years may not be necessary before ever learning a full scale or chord inversion. One of the best things I've done for my own teaching in recent years is to begin building my own order for how I want to teach piano patterns. Notice I'm avoiding the term I used in the title of this episode, technical patterns. I just like calling them piano patterns. All you need to do is create a simple table in a Word document. Start with prep or level one, however you want to label it. So write down what's the first pattern you want students to learn and in what keys. For many, it might be the five finger patterns in blocked chords in C, F, and G major. Okay, what's your second pattern? Maybe it's G and C major scales, hands separate, one octave. Okay, great. Maybe the third thing that you want your students to learn is to learn the two note five seven chord so that they play the five finger pattern followed by the 1571 blocked chord in C, F, and G, like this. There you go. There's your first set. And maybe that's all you have for the first level of students. Let's go through those again. So maybe the very first thing that you do is five finger patterns in C, F, G, and then you have students learn two scales, the C scale and the G scale. And then you have st students learn the 
1571 chord progression in a simplified form. One, the two note blocked chord, and back to the one. There you go. So I only have four different types of patterns in my own first set. Personally, I start with broken chord crossed hand arpeggios in G, F, C, A minor, and F sharp. find them kind of exciting to play, getting to cross their left hand over their right hand to hit the tonic above. And believe me, beginners can do it. Besides them sounding fancy for beginners, I start here because of harmonic structure. They're learning tonic chords on which the melody of their pieces is built. Now, don't worry, I actually do teach five finger patterns, but not just yet. The second thing I teach is the tonic dominant tonic melodic cadence, only using the 5-7 chord shell in the keys of G, F, and C, and also A minor. So so do, mi, so, so, ti, do, do, mi, so, so, ti, do, la, do, mi, La, uh, sorry, mi, si, la. Again, it's not about establishing harmonic function and tonality first and then building, sorry, it's, it's about establishing harmonic function and tonality first and then building melodically from there. Students start learning the movement of the bottom finger going down a half step when progressing from the one to the five chord. So, do, mi, so. So tito. The third thing that I teach is a one octave scale hand separate in G major and its relative E natural minor, followed by C major major and its relative A natural minor. I do teach the natural minor only at first, but just for these two scales in this level. I find that this really helps students make a connection between the major key signature and the relative minors from the very start. The fourth and final pattern I teach in my first set is the five finger scale and blocked chords for what are called the snowman chords. Those um, that are three white keys, which would be G major, F major, and C major. Students have already played the broken chord crosshand arpeggios and the, do the dominant chord shells and scales for C and G, so it makes more sense when we say we're extracting the first five notes of the scale. They have context. The only um, scales I teach are C and G at first because F major requires a slightly different fingering pattern in the right hand. So I saved that scale for the second level. You may or may not have noticed that I mentioned teaching G major first in every pattern. The main reason is so that students learn right away that black keys are involved 
with the F sharp coming in. And they don't get stuck in just thinking about white keys at the beginning of their lessons. And then they get thrown off the first time they ever have to play black key. So they are playing black keys from the start. So let me recap those one more time. First, I start with crosshand arpeggios. I'll just do it all in G major. And I do that in G, F, C, A minor, and F sharp. So they get used to playing some black keys. The second thing I teach is the tonic, dominant, tonic, melodic cadence using only the 5-7 chord shell. So do, do, mi, so, so, ti, do. And I do that also in the keys of G, F, C, and A minor, but I don't do F sharp major for this pattern. The third thing I teach is one octave scales, hands separate, just for G major and E minor and C major and A minor. And the minor is the natural. The fourth thing that I teach is the five finger patterns and blocked chords for the snowman chords in G major. And I do have them do hands together this very first time on these five finger patterns. We do F major and C major. And boom, there is my set number one. I hope this episode has inspired you to think beyond your method books and festival requirements and put together an order of piano patterns that you, as a teacher, feel is best suited to your students. Start small. Maybe you just put together your first level. Do it with a few students, and once you're confident with that first set, start laying out your next level. My progression charts are getting tweaked on a regular basis based on how my students struggle or succeed with the order of progressions. Does this mean you shouldn't use the resources your method book uses to teach some of these patterns? Of course not. I just don't want you to feel tied to the page or the level of a book. There are lots of resources out there that are wonderful visual images of chords, finger patterns, and scales. Heck, what if we didn't even use a technique book? What if you just sketched out the fingering or had the students write out the finger numbers uh, or the names of the notes that they're playing for the scale? I often just take a quick video and either text it to them or upload it to their online practice app if that's what we're using. Don't let technique books bog you down. Get creative. Think strategically and enjoy developing your own piano pattern progressions because you, my friend, are the method. Don't go yet. I promised you in episode 101 that I wasn't done giving random tips, and today I have one for you. This week's tip is one that I learned first from my friend Joy Morin a few years ago in a blog post she wrote on establishing a daily habit. She shared her struggle with remembering to take her multivitamin each day and how she tried placing it around the house in various locations with the idea of using other daily habits to prompt the one she often forgot. Ultimately, she ended up placing it in a cupboard next to the dishes she uses daily. I thought this was brilliant, so I tried the same thing and it worked really well for me until it didn't. I found I was placing them on our in our drink cabinet, but on the right side rather than the left side, which is the side I opened to get the drinks, so I was forgetting about it. 
Eventually, I decided to place them on the countertop in the area of the kitchen where we do our coffee and drinks and that has all of our dishes, but I keep them contained in on a decorative eight inch square plate. So when people come over, I just take the plate into the pantry so I'm not leaving too personal of something out on the counter. This is working great for me now, but I will bet you $100 in a year I'll get tired of seeing it on the countertop and will probably try something else, most likely back into a different cabinet. Another tip is that I take a daily probiotic that must be refrigerated. Taking my daily vitamins at dinner time isn't enough for me to remember to open the fridge to take that one, so I set an alarm for taking it at 12.30 every day because I know I'm always in the kitchen doing lunch around that time. The alarm goes off and I take my probiotic. Voila! <laughs> do what you have to do, you guys, to keep those good habits going. If you're interested in thinking about building more good habits in the new year, take 15 minutes to listen to episode 52, Think Again, A Mindset for Getting and Staying Organized, and 101, Rethink, Readjust, Renew. If you'd like to follow up on anything I've mentioned on today's show, including links and a full transcript, head over to pianopantry.com forward slash podcast forward slash episode 102. Oops, the episode show notes is episode 103, not episode 102. So that's pianopantry.com forward slash podcast forward slash episode 103. Wait, we're not done yet today. I have a big announcement. I am excited to announce that my friend Joy Morin and I are teaming up to bring you a special event called Organize Your Digital Life Using Notion. This two-day online workshop will be held on Friday and Saturday, March 8th and 9th from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. More details and registration information will come in the next few weeks, but for now, just save the date. That's March 8th and 9th. There will also be a bonus follow-up session available on March 22nd for those who want to take it a little further. We hope to see you there.